I think Greg and I both agree that our prayer for all of us would be that when we sing those kind of lyrics that that's true about us. I think sometimes we can get in the habit of just going through the motions and just saying the words, but I, to actually think about the condition of our heart um, being genuine and saying that you are a good, good Father. And what a, grip, what a privilege that is that we are able to say that. Um, first time I heard that song, I was in McAllen, Texas, and I was down there to uh, do a, a mission trip, part of a mission team. But we were down there, and uh, most of the people right there along South Texas, I mean, even if you're on the Texas side, most of them are going to be speaking Spanish. And so we were sitting there in a large school gymnasium and having a time of worship, and they sang that song once through, and then they turned and they sang it in Spanish. And of course, I'm not that fluent in Spanish, but you could understand what they were saying. And then the third time through you heard you heard people singing in English and you heard people singing in Spanish and just thinking that one day we're going to be in heaven there's going to be a multitude of voices and they're not all going to sound like me and they're not going to all sound like you but there's going to be a multitude of voices in heaven and we're all going to be praising one God together and the idea of us being together unified by one God is an incredible, beautiful thing. And so I I think sometimes we start to think that Christianity looks like this, what we do every day, but Christianity is so diverse and that uh, it is such, such a blessing. Don't know where I was going with that, but appreciate you, Greg, and those that lead us in that time of worship and you men taking up the offerings. I hope you have a Bible with you, uh, some some form of a Bible with you. 1 Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to be at this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2. Hopefully when you came in, you got a bulletin or a worship guide when you came in. On the back of that, there's some notes that if you want to use that as we study God's Word together, but feel free to use that. But we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. I don't know how many of you are paying attention. There's a couple of you that have mentioned it and pointed it out to me. But this Sunday, last Sunday, and it's becoming an increasingly uh, bigger trend, on a, normal, on, a, on a Sunday morning now, we are having probably as many individuals under the age of 18 as we as have over the 18 in the service. Now, some people looked at it and go, my goodness, where is all of these young people coming from? And I'm telling you, there's a lot more young people than this that aren't here. And I want to praise the Lord they are here. But when we think about that as a church, that we, have, we are having as many under 18 in a normal Sunday morning service as we do over the 18, then we need to think about how it is that we communicate and how it is that we do ministry. And so thinking about wanting to make sure that I don't want anybody being left out of where we study and where we go in the morning, I'm just going to kind of bring something that we can all relate to this morning. This coming Thursday, whether you realize it or not, Wellston Public School is going to start. Now, I realize that for some of you, it's not a really big deal because you don't attend Wellston Public School, but for the vast majority of us, it impacts us in one way or another. And when school starts, (coughs) there's going to be some changes. There's going to be some changes, no doubt, in the parents and in the children when it comes to your routines, what time you get up, what you do, how you dress, where you go, when you get to leave, when you get to come back. Parents, your routines are going to somewhat change and having to have the children ready, having to have the children repair, there is a difference. And nowadays, I think they have the meet the teachers night or wherever it is that you go up and they tell you, this is what you need to do, this is what you have going on, and everybody comes and starts that first day with not only a certain amount of excitement, but you start that first day knowing that today marks 
a different day than yesterday, and it is going to be this way for the foreseeable future over this school year. In many ways, we think about this start of school, you can relate it to the Christian life. It was one day that you were lost, dead in your sin. Jesus saved you. You realized you were a sinner. You realized you needed to be saved of your sin. You cried out for forgiveness and repentance before God, and He saved you. And from that day forth, there was a difference in your life. That is what Peter is talking about here in 1 Peter chapter 2. He had written to this church talking about who they are. He's reminding the church of their identity in Christ and what that means, having this possession of this salvation. And then he's in the last two Sundays we did together talking about this thing that they have, this holiness, this love that they have, that those are two qualities and characters that should be true about them. And then he's going to go starting in chapter 2 and going to turn this into a very practical applicable situation. He's going to talk about because of your salvation and because of your identity in Christ, because you are called to be holy, because you are called to love, then this is how you live it out in a tangible, practical way. And you see there at the notes, he's saying that there should now be a different behavior. There should be a different behavior in the way that God's people acts Versus the way the world acts. There should be a difference in what we do, both in our public and our private lives, versus what a lost person does, and they're both private and public life. So he's going to come in, and he's going to write to this church and say, okay, church, because now that you are in Christ, and because now that you are to be holy, and you are to be set apart, and you are to be have this, have this loving attitude about you, there should be some differences in you. So we think about these students and they start off with school. There's a difference. There's a difference in their routine, a difference in their schedule, a difference in their time throughout the day. The same way when it comes to us as Christians, there should be a difference in us. So he's going to talk about these first three verses in First Peter chapter 2. He's going to talk about these differences. So notice with me, we're going to read the first three verses and then we're going to back up and just pick these apart this morning. But notice what he says. So He's connecting this to what he said in the entirety of chapter 1. He says, so, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. You think about what Peter is trying to bring across. He's wanting to remind this early church. He's wanting to remind these young Christians. He's wanting to remind them that there should be a now a difference in them because of who they are now in Christ. We have too many people in this world today that get saved and nothing changes. They go to church and nothing changes. They say they're a follower of Jesus Christ and yet nothing changes. So he wants to remind them that there should be a change. There should be a difference in the believer in how we act. So look there in verse 1. He says, this is how you should now act. And he uses several different words. He says all malice, which refers to intent, or it returns to vengeance, or it refers to this hatred, or this idea that I'm going to get even with this person. He says all malice, all deceit. That the cunning, it's the manipulative, it's the deceitfulness that says that I'm going to try to cheat you. I'm going to try to lie to you. He says all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy and all slander, talking bad about one another, gossiping about one another. He is saying that, in short, what we do is an indicator of what we believe. 
So if we are a type of people that are consumed with always chewing at people, talking about people, some people think they have this spiritual gift of criticism, even though that's not in there, and they think that all it is is they're going to go and they're going to tell everybody. I'm, I'm always amazed at how many people both inside the church and outside the church are always carrying around cold water with them. So then anybody that has any excitement about Jesus will take care of that. And anybody that's on fire for the Lord will take care of that. Anybody that has something they want to do for the kingdom of God, oh, we'll take care of that. We can't do anything new. We can't do anything out of the box. We can't try anything different. We can't be excited. We can't be happy. In fact, if you get excited in church, you need to stop that. This is a place for reverence. And this is a place for reverence. This is also a place for worship. This is also a place for us to be excited about what God has done in us. So he says that how we act will demonstrate the difference that Christ has made in us. So he brings this back in verse 1 to say, So all of these things that typify and mark the unbeliever and mark a lost world, do not do that. In fact, when you get there to hypocrisy, it's one of the words that often we, we talk about, but we so easily do. He is saying hypocrisy is, a, is, is akin to your head and your hands saying different things. That's what hypocrisy is. It's when you say one thing with your mouth, but you're doing one thing with your actions. It's hypocritical. We will sit there around the dinner table at my house, our house, not my house, our house, and I'll look at those boys and I'll say, you're not going to put your elbows on the table while we're eating. And if I sit there and I enforce for them boys, four boys coming up on a faith one, but if I tell those four boys, you are not allowed to put your elbow on the table when you're eating because it's bad manners. But then if I sit there and I put my elbow on the table while I'm eating, them boys are going to look at me and go, well, daddy, why do you get to do it? But we don't get to do it. Well, you can look at them and say, because I'm your father. Or you could look at him and say, well, because I'm going to tell you what to do, but that doesn't mean I have to do that. You know, it doesn't really matter. What it means is, is I'm being a hypocrite. I'm telling them that this is proper table manners to act like this, and yet I'm not acting like that. And we have a lot of people that will come to church, and they'll look the part, and they'll say the part, and they'll take that little finger, and they'll shake it around and say, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't talk like that. You shouldn't act like that. You shouldn't be like that. And then yet we go out and live just like the world. And Peter is telling us there should be a difference in the way the people of God act. So he says, he says, put it all away. Why is he having to say put it away? Because he knew that it was present in the life of the church. He knew that there were people in the church that were behaving and acting in this way. So he says, get rid of it. Stop it. In other words, you have to be intentional about not continuing to act the way you used to act. And yet, how often do we really give thought to how we act? We give thought to what people see, but we don't very often give thought to how we act. And I want to remind us this morning that we are who we are. We are not who we say we are. We're not who we think we are. We're not who we assume other people think we are. We are not who we want to be. We are who we are. 
And if you are selfish, that means you're selfish. And if you are prideful, that means you're prideful. And if you are unrepentant and rebellious against God, that means that's who you are. We are who we are. And brothers and sisters, we need to ask ourselves the question on a continual basis, who are we? And sometimes we can ask that question by how we act. I struggle with my temper. I struggle with getting angry, lashing out. Sometimes it's the simplest thing. Sometimes it's the littlest things. I will get cranky and the boys will say, Daddy, why are you so cranky? Well, because of the way you're acting. That's why. But the reality is, is I just get cranky because sometimes I struggle with my anger. Sometimes I struggle with my temper. Sometimes I struggle with those sort of things. I can't make excuses for it. I can't try to justify it. It is what it is. And that is not what Christ has called me to be. And so church, it's not a matter of where you're at on a Sunday morning. It's not a matter of do you know all the right information. It's not a matter of do you have all the words, the lip service down. The question is, is how do we act? Not just inside the church, but outside the church. So he says, Peter comes to them and says, because of your identity in Christ, because Because you've been called to be holy. Because you've been called to have a love for one another. Get rid of the actions that act like the world. And it's not just that. Not just how we act. But notice in verse 2 he talks about what we desire. Talks about our desires. He talks about what it is when it comes to the Christian. The difference that should be in our lives and what we desire. He, he, He talks there about newborn infants and they long for this pure spiritual milk. Now I realize there's some people in this world today that say they can remember back to like when they were six months old, eight months old. I say phooey. There is nobody that remembers that far back. I just don't believe that. Why? Because our memories are continually degrading. And we don't have our memory like we used to. So I don't think there's anybody in this room with the ability to speak back that remembers a day and a time when all they wanted was to nurse. And all they wanted was the bottle or some other form. I don't think there's a person in this room. So we have to be creative on what we're talking about this Desiring this pure spiritual milk. So when I was thinking about this, yesterday, uh, Jalen and I went to Sam's. We were getting some food stuff for the teacher feed coming up on Tuesday. And so we go into Sam's and I think I told Steve earlier, I hadn't been in Sam's in like 20 years. So we go into Sam's. And if some of you are familiar, I mean, this is just a rabbit hole of consumerism. I mean, it is just whatever you want. Everything is right there and lots and lots of it. Okay, so I, I go into Sam's and as soon as you walk in, at least this is the one there on I-35, what do they got lined up right there? Somebody tell me. Nobody knows. TVs. And I'm not talking about your 25-inch tube-style television. I'm not talking about a 35-inch flat-screen television. I'm talking about the 75-inch screen television. I remember back in the uh, early 2000s, I was working a site in the Sound of Stillwater, and we got a 70-inch big-screen Mitsubishi in, and that sucker was like $15,000, and we thought, my goodness, we had never seen a TV that big, and now they got them, and they're $975, just sitting there, just saying, hey, take me home, I want to be in your house. And when you walk in, you realize that our desires can be manipulated. 
walk in, and when I walked in, I had no desire to say, I, did it, I need a different TV, or I want a different television. I walk into Sam's, and the next thing you know, I see the whole line set up there, and I think, you know what? Maybe we could have a little bigger television. Maybe, maybe we could see something a little bit bigger. Our desires can be manipulated. But then, but then you walk on through Sam's, and we get over to the fruits and vegetables aisle, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that, that's nice. And then we make the turn. And you head over toward the meat department. Next thing you know, you have all this prepackaged, all this stuff, all this food. And I'm just sitting there going, I like it. I like it. I'll take one of each of everything. Just load it up. Let's just take it home. Why? Because not only can my desires be manipulated, but our desires can change. Just one trip into the Sam's Club store and you have a glaring example of how how our desires can be manipulated and our desires can change. So when Peter, there in verse 2, he says, okay, it's not a matter of trusting your desires. It's not a matter of trusting what you think at the time because your emotions will lie to you. Your feelings will lie to you. All these things are temporal and all these things can be fickle. He says that when it comes to the things of God, you need to question your motives. You need to question your desires. Don't take for granted that you are always your best friend. You need to understand that not only can your desires be manipulated, but your desires can change. So he tells us, long for the pure spiritual milk. And let me put this in layman's terms like terms for us today. Long for the truth. Long for what is true, long for what will last, long for what will live long after this world, this economy, this government, this culture, this society, long for the things that will last for an eternity. And what are those things? Those things are from God. Some of you students think that you're going to be in high school the rest of your life. And then you're going to get out of high school and you're going to realize that... Those days are over. And then you're going to think you're going to be in a job for the rest of your life. And then you're going to come to the time of retirement. And that season's going to be over. There's going to be ebbs and flows. There's going to be seasons back and forth. But let me remind you that some things do not change. God does not change. The love of God does not change. The work of Christ on our behalf does not change. The offer of redemption and salvation and forgiveness does not change. The love of God over our lives does not change. His sovereignty over our lives does not change. His will and His purpose and His desires for our lives do not change. The problem is, is that as we continue through this life, we continually desire different things. And Peter is saying, hey, make sure that you always desire God. And so many times, brothers and sisters, we get a lot of desires moving in a lot of different directions, but aren't focused on God. And he says, just like that newborn baby, that newborn baby doesn't care about a boat, that newborn baby doesn't care about a phone, that newborn baby doesn't care about a PlayStation or a television or a new bedroom set or new furniture or a better job or more retirement. That baby only has one thing in its head and that is that physical nourishment. And he says that we as Christians should have that same kind of single-mindedness that we get up and we're just like that baby. I need to be spiritually fed. That's why I encourage you. I know some people are wired differently, and I understand that, but I encourage you to start your day with God. To start your day that morning, to start that day with God. Am I saying you got to sit down there and have this big, long, 30, 45-minute, hour-long quiet time? No. I'm just saying when you get up, you're hungry. 
you're hungry. You're spiritually hungry. You're physically hungry. You're emotionally hungry. You are hungry. So why not feed yourselves with the things of God? Because our desires will track our devotions, and we choose our devotion. So he says, long for the pure spiritual milk. He wants them to understand that this is a choice. This is the daily decision that they wake up to say, what am I going to pursue today? We're right now in this season. Micah gets up. Five-month-old baby right there. He wakes up in the mornings. He doesn't say, Daddy, I need to go run. He doesn't say, Daddy, I need to get dressed. He doesn't say, Daddy, I need to do some homework. He doesn't say, Daddy, I need to do some chores. He doesn't say, Daddy, I need to watch TV. He doesn't say, Daddy, I need to go outside and play. He doesn't say anything to me. (laughs) I don't even exist until after he's had his conversation with Mama. There is nothing because he wakes up and the only thing he is thinking about is my belly's empty. And church, I think in a lot of ways when we wake up, our hearts are empty. And we need to remind ourselves that we can pick up and we can look at our phones and we can consume ourselves with social media. We can consume ourselves with television. We can consume ourselves with all the things of this world that try to distract us and try to uh, draw our attentions away. Or we can get up and we can desire the things of God and say, I'm going to start my day by choosing the pure spiritual milk of God's word and that intimacy with the spirit of God. And so he talks about how we act. He talks about what we desire. Excuse me. But then he also talks about our purpose. He talks about our purpose. Why it is that we act the way we act. Why it is that we long and desire the things that we long and desire. He says this is why you're doing it. The last part of verse 2. You long for the pure spiritual milk. That by it you may grow up into salvation. He's reminding us the whole reason why we think about the way we act and why we think about the way we desire is because we all have a purpose in life and that is to grow spiritually. To grow spiritually. And growing spiritually is not dependent upon your age chronologically. Growing spiritually is not dependent upon your income. Growing spiritually is not dependent upon your gender or your ethnicity. Growing spiritually is not dependent upon your knowledge or your background or your home life or your school life or your reputation or whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. Growing spiritually has nothing to do with the things in this world as much as the things of your heart. And he says our desire should be to grow spiritually. Every single one of you students, you're going to start off this school year and your intention is to pass this grade. To move to the next grade. To move through the system of the school year. So you're going to sit there and you're going to do the homework. And you're going to do the assignments. And you're going to do the things that you don't want to do because you believe that this is what I'm doing in pursuit of going to the next step. And yet, when people get saved, it's like now I'm saved and now I'm done. And nowhere, nowhere in Scripture do we see that God says this is a one-time thing. And rather than we get saved and then there's a continual pursuit in our knowledge and our wisdom and our maturity in Christ. So he says you've been saved for a purpose. You've been saved for a purpose so that you can grow in the grace of God. So he says that you may grow up into salvation. So what's he referring to? He's referring to something that Paul wrote back back there in Ephesians. And back there in Ephesians chapter 4, he says this. Let me get over there and I'll read it to you. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, Rather, this is verse chapter 4, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into 
Christ. He is saying that Christ has gifted the church. Christ has gifted you. You have certain abilities. You have certain talents. You have certain resources. You have certain things for the purpose of being able to grow in Christ. Now I realize that right now we're living in a day, an age that the definition of success is skewed. We think the definition of success is academics or material. Or we think the definition of success is financial. Or the definition of success is how many cool places you've been in the world. Or the definition of success is him or her or that relationship or that job title or that accomplishment, that plaque, that piece of paper on the wall. That is the definition of success. What Peter is reminding us is, is the definition of success is the same for all believers. In other words, the purpose for the believer is the same. What is the purpose of the believer? Grow in your faith. This doesn't depend upon your money. This doesn't depend on your relationship, your, 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 your titles or your relationship with other people. It's saying that your purpose in life is to grow in Christ. And yet, how many people do we have in the world today that are stagnant? You're stagnant in your faith. You're stagnant in the Lord. You're not growing like you should be. If I was to stand up here on a Sunday morning and say, this morning we're going to be studying 2 Hezekiah chapter 4. How many of you would begin to open your Bible? Or if I had said that we're going to study the 4th John chapter 3, how many of you would give it another thought? Or if I was to tell you that we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 7, would you step back and ponder? Or if I was to tell you that Jesus was born in Egypt, raised in Rome, how many of you would know the difference? We're living in a day and age that we have a lot of people that aren't growing in their faith. Oh, they know the sports statistics. Oh, they know the political information. Oh, they know all there is to know about the latest recent updates on the culture and the society from COVID to everything else. Oh, they know all the information because they're constantly downloading all of the social media, all this information to their mind on a regular basis, but they're not growing in their faith. And you may say, why are they not growing in their faith? Well, some people would say, well, I don't have the time. I just don't know where to start. Well, I keep meaning to, but I just never seem to get it done. May I remind you this morning that distractions and de- detours are often by design. Often it is Satan there trying to prevent you, trying to keep you from moving towards God. And so he brings all these things in your life. He brings all these obstacles. He brings all these trinkets and things in your life to try to pull you away. Go down the Midway, the State Fair of Oklahoma, and there is booth after booth after booth. And they've got lights flashing. And they've got these hecklers that are sitting there on the side. Oh, sir, just come on, win a prize for the lady. And they're trying to call you out. And they got the lights, and they got the toys, and they got the stuffed animals, and they got this bear that's taller than Evan sitting there thinking, you need to win that. Oh, I need to spend $50 to win the bear for what? But what they're doing is they're trying to distract you. They're trying to draw you in. They just want to see you turn in so then they can then take your money, take your time, and take your self-esteem. All these things are trying to pull you in and they're trying to distract you and detour you. And it's by design. That's why they have all the lights. And that's why they have the overstuffed animals. And that's why they have the games that look like they're so simply deceitfully rigged. All these things are there. And that's the same thing the world is doing to us. 
That is why we find ourselves so distracted and so frazzled. And we're busy. And we're busy. And we don't have time. And I don't seem to be able to get to it. I don't seem to be able to persevere in it. I don't seem to, Lord, we were talking about this morning in Sunday school, the steadfastness of the Lord. So many of us can start well, but we don't finish well because we don't have the steadfastness. We don't have the continualness that Adam was talking about. We don't have the perseverance. Because our desires aren't there. Our actions aren't there. We don't understand the purpose for which God has called us to himself. And I want to remind you this morning, brothers and sisters, that some things are not meant to get over. Some things are not meant to get over. He says that there in verse 2. He says that by, that by it you may grow up into salvation. And then he gives us this verse 3. If. If. You're to grow up into salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. He says if you've come to the point that you understood who God is, then that's going to make a difference. If you come to the point that you understand what God has done for you, that should make a difference. If you come to the point that you understand who you were and who you are now, that should make a difference. If you understood where you were headed for an eternity before Christ and now where you're headed to for an eternity with Christ, that should make a difference. These things should make a difference. And it's not one of those things that we just say, ho, home, I'm glad we're there. He says there are some things that are not meant to be over. If you realize what Christ has done with you, how can we ever go back to what we were? And so many times, so many times the world just says, just calm down. Get over it. Chill out. It was a video that was running around. Some of you people understand it. And one of the lines of the, the video is, calm down, Jamal. So, I don't know where my boys picked it up because they're not on TikTok and they don't have those type of social media accounts, but somewhere they picked it up. So they've taught Ezra this. So Ezra will be all excited at the house and look at Ezra and say, just calm down, Jamal. Well, then Ezra has picked it up. So now he'll look at his brothers and say, well, just calm down, Jamal. And it's kind of humorous for they're all in the family just saying, chill out. It's not worth being upset about. Now, I was to think if you came to my house, our house, and you were to ask, and you were to ask those boys, do you even know where that comes from? They have no clue what video, no skit. They have no idea what it is a reference to. They just know the line, calm down, Jamal. And so they will repeat that to one another, just say, chill out. And there's a lot of people in this world that you get excited. You young people, you go to camp, or you get excited about something that goes on in the church, and you go to school, and you're there, and your classmates say, just calm down, Jamal. You adults, you get excited, and you go to your workplace, or you go to your houses, and a husband or a wife, they get excited about something that God is doing in their life, and they go to their spouse, they go to their coworkers, they go to their friends, they go to their families, and their coworkers, their friends, and their families look at them and say, just calm down, Jamal. And this world is always trying to get us as Christians to just chill out. But Peter comes in, and Peter says, Why? Why? Why would you calm down knowing who you are? If you know what God has done for you, why can you not, can you not be excited about it? Why? 
Why? Why would we not look for somebody to tell? Why would we not look for somebody to influence? Why would we not want to act like it and be like it and live like it and share what God has done for us? He says in verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, I wonder how we, I don't know how many of us in this room, let's say there's 50 of us in this room, how we can come to church with this ho-hum look on our face if we have indeed tasted that the Lord is good. It's just like us coming and realizing that we got the greatest gift we could ever ask for. It's the freest gift we could ever want. It's a gift that goes on and on and on and on. A gift that we didn't deserve. A gift that we have not earned or merited. A gift that was given to us because God loves us and I don't have to do anything for it. It's mine forever and ever and ever to keep for always. Calm down, Jamal. That wasn't what Peter's attitude was. The 11 disciples, after they watched their Savior die on a cross, go to the tomb, come out of the tomb, as they watched Him ascend to the right hand of the Father. For the rest of their life, they didn't just go around looking at each other and saying, just calm down, Jamal. Oh, they were excited. They couldn't wait to tell somebody. And within one generation, an entire known world had heard about Jesus Christ because 11 men didn't get over it. Can we just imagine for a few moments what it would be like if the 50 of us in this room didn't get over it? And we went to school starting on Thursday and we weren't over it. That doesn't mean you have to have all the answers. It doesn't mean you have to know all the questions. They may say, well, you can't talk about it in school. Says who? No one, there is no constitutional law that says you cannot talk about Jesus in school. Or what if us adults? What if us adults went and in our walkings and in our dealings and in our workplaces, we just weren't getting over it and we were just so excited to tell people about Jesus. What would it be like if we didn't get over it? We wonder why these children are leaving the church by droves. We wonder why we have so many young people today that are graduating high school and graduating out of the church on the very same day. Why? Because they're looking at all of us adults and going, I don't know why they're doing what they're doing. I'm going to go for something that's more authentic. I'm going to go for something that's more genuine. I'm going to go for something that's not nearly as hypocritical. And they're leaving because they see us adults getting over it. And yet, Peter comes in and says, there should be a difference in you if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you know that the Lord is good, and if you know that He is a good, good Father, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you, it's who I am, it's who I am, there should be a difference. And there should be a difference in the way we behave. So how do we take what Peter's writing and apply it to our lives? <clears throat> Just three quick practical application points and we're done this morning. The first thing I want to remind you of is that our actions relay our beliefs. Our actions relay our beliefs. It doesn't really matter what you say you believe. It doesn't matter what you write on social media that you believe. It doesn't matter about what you say when other people are around or listening to you. It matters what you do. Your actions relay, or you could say your actions demonstrate. Your actions betray your beliefs. What you do is what you believe. So you can take stock and ask yourself, so what is it that I am doing? My actions relay my beliefs. But then not just that, but we practice our values. We practice our values. 
So many people in this world today are walking around saying, we just need to return back to conservative Christian values. Yes, like putting God first. <laughs> like prioritizing the things of God. Like sacrificing our service and ourself for the kingdom of God. For like coming in and giving our lives to God and telling other people about God. We practice our values. And not just that, but then this final one. The difference should be eternal. The difference should be eternal. You look back up there in verse 3. Peter says, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. He is saying, do you not understand this difference that should be in your life? It's an eternal difference. You don't just get saved and that's the end of it. You are saved today, tomorrow, the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, the next decade, the next millennium, the next century, the next thousand, million, hundred, billion, Jillion years. You are saved. There'll never become a time once you are saved, there'll never become a time that you stop being saved. And yet we get over it. If you've been married for any length of time, you know there are ebbs and flows of your marriage. And all those ebbs and flows happen because of attention and priority. There's a lot of individuals they'll come to the they'll come to the marriage counseling room and they'll be looking at the possibility of divorce and really what the result is is that they got married and at one point in their marriage they prioritized one another. Then as life took place and as other things got in the way, they stopped prioritizing and they stopped valuing one another the way they should, and they find themselves in a point of disagreement. They find themselves in a point of disharmony. They find themselves at a point of division and they say, Well, this just means we need to get divorced. No. It means you need to go back treating each other like you did when you were just married. Prioritizing, valuing one another, investing that time. You need to regain some of those things that developed that intimacy. The same way it comes with our spiritual walks. The ebbs and flows come times where you feel like, man, I can't get any closer to God. Oh, man, I feel like I'm just right there where God wants me to be. And then there's times that you feel as dry as a popcorn. And you think, well, I don't understand what's going on. God must not love me anymore. God must not like me anymore. Or we'll even start doubting our salvation. We'll start saying, well, you know, I just think something else has changed. I'm going to tell you what's changed. We have changed. We have stopped listening to God. We have stopped prioritizing God. We have stopped pursuing after God. We have stopped listening to God. We have stopped reading God's word. We have stopped obeying and following after God. We are the ones that have moved away from God. God hasn't moved away from us. So this morning I plead with you. I can't tell you what your behaviors are like. Everybody puts on a good show when they come to church. But when you leave here, you are who you are. And I want to plead with you this morning to be the kind of person that people would see Jesus in. Let us, let us be the kind of church I said it this morning during our prayer time. Let us be the kind of church that aren't known for the entertainment. We aren't known for the place to be seen or the place to go. It's not the hip place. It's not the contemporary progressive place. Let us be known as the people that make much of Jesus. And let us be known as a place that glorifies God and makes much of the truthfulness of God's word. Let us be known as a church as being different in this world because of what Christ has done for us. Would you bow your heads with me?